Hello and welcome to Le Monde Diplomatique's podcast for February 2010. My name is George Miller, and in this month's issue, I wrote an article about Barbara Ehrenreich and her new book, Brightsided, called Smile or Die in the UK, whose subtitle makes clear where she's coming from. How the relentless promotion of positive thinking has undermined America. This month's podcast is an edited version of the interview on which my profile was based. I began by asking Barbara about how her own experience of breast cancer had gradually made her aware of the pervasiveness of positive thinking in the culture at large. I certainly, you know, classified the whole thing in my mind under the pink ribbon culture around breast cancer, and I didn't think of it as, as something more general at first. Now, I should explain, I lead a fairly sheltered life because I've been a freelance writer. I don't go to a workplace. Um, I don't go to a church. So there weren't that many ways that this was, or nor, nor do I, you know, watch Oprah all that often. <laughs> so, you know, I thought, well, that's strange, but that's what that's about. Then, uh, when I was working on this book, Bait and Switch, um, I, I was shocked to see that laid-off uh, workers, white-collar workers, were being subjected to the same sort of message. That they should just think positively. It's not a misfortune to be, lose your job. It's just a a transition, and the main thing is to be positive and upbeat at all times, because your attitude controls everything. And oh my God, that's you know it clicked with me. I've heard this before in some form. That took a while though before I began to see how ubiquitous it, ubiquitous it is, and you know explore, for example, its penetration into the business culture. Mm. That was something which surprised me in particular. The the way. You described how management styles had changed from. Yeah. No, that, that was really pretty fascinating. It was something I had to learn a lot about. It. Corporate culture was not something I had delved into. But I, I think I was uh, strongly committed to the notion that, however evil corporations may be in some ways and how they treat people, that they're rational enterprises. They have, you know, it, you know. In, in other words, occupying the same intellectual universe as a journalist is in, or a scientist, both of which are parts of my background. So when I, you know, first encountered all these messages of positive thinking in the workplace culture, I thought, pretty. This is just a cynically minded effort to control the workers. You know, that both to manage layoffs and to um, extract more work from the layoff survivors. So I thought at the top there must be people who would just think this is hilarious. And um, But the more I probed and the more people I met, you know, who were more insiders and, and Wall Street guys, um, the more I became convinced that no, that's it, this is the ideology right at the top too, that it's a sort of a mind over matter uh, notion that whatever you are, whatever has happened to you is because of, is under control ultimately of your thoughts and you can have whatever you want if you can attract it to yourself with your thoughts. The <laughs> sort of funny thing of course is if you're worth, as one Wall Street guy said to me, if you're worth 500 million dollars, it actually is true. You know, you do control the universe and you can have anything you can think of almost instantly. Uh, so they, it, you know, it doesn't seem to be just cynical manipulation. 
materialism is very much part of it, isn't it? It's about you describe a sort of a vast cosmic warehouse and you project your thoughts onto what you want. And a lot of it is about acquiring physical property, isn't it? Expressing that desire. Yes, the quote from several motivational speakers is, the universe is a big mail order department. And if you can submit your orders clearly, unambiguously, they will be fulfilled in a timely fashion. Because that's what this is all about, meeting your personal needs, not our needs, not human beings uh, collectively or species or society, but it exists, it centers on me and personally, and perhaps you, you can believe the same thing if you like. Do you think then that positive thinking is a symptom of America's problems rather than a cause of America's problems? I was thinking about inequality. Do you think it stems from the fact that there is marked inequality in American society, therefore it's a coping mechanism, rather than something which actually... Yeah, I just don't know. I mean, it's a very hard thing to sort out. You know, where uh, when you see... And I you know, wondered a lot, like, in the case of breast cancer patients, is this coming from on high, from the medical profession in some way? But it, it seemed that the you know a lot of ordinary women were eagerly participating in this, so it's hard to make out. But... You know, it seems to go very well with deep economic inequality. And my my favorite recent case was Joe the Plumber, who was said he you know he opposed Obama's plan to increase taxes on people making two hundred more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, because he Joe the Plumber planned soon to make that much money, uh, although he was only making about thirty thousand dollars a year. And, and and then, you know, the whole issue of inequality vanishes once you believe that, uh, what, you, you know, your prosperity is entirely up to you, and it's just a matter of volition. A poverty is not a problem. Those people just have a bad attitude. Bad attitude more toward money. They're not focused enough, whatever. And there are no social problems. So a whole set of, of social policy attitudes is kind of contained within positive thinking. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Something I did not explore in the book, but I became more interested in um, over the summer as I was doing other kinds of research, is how people who apply for welfare in the United States, and you know we have very little, teeny tiny, and it's more of a work supplement program. But the first thing they do, um, if you make it this far, is they'll send you to a private agency for job readiness training. And what is that? It's coaching and positive thinking. Now also they'll throw in some things about perhaps about preparing a resume or, you know, be a little practical stuff. But mostly, I mean, the philosophy is, how do you get a job by being positive? Who do they hire positive people? Why, what's the matter with poor people? They're not positive. <clears throat> so you get, you, get um, you know, right away inducted uh, into this, and so there's, you know, there's no injustice. It's just they're just bad attitudes. And so, I mean, the, the most serious consequence of this that you write about is the financial meltdown, because it becomes culturally unacceptable to question the orthodoxies. If you work for a big investment bank, you have to go along with the prevailing positive, can-do, you know, master the, of the universe attitude, because to question that, you know, is, is absolutely beyond the pale. Well, it's, it's worse than that, because if you were to have negative thoughts and think, for example, of defaults on mortgages, 
you could attract that. You could make that happen with your thoughts. So it's imperative to eliminate negative people from the workplace. Uh, people who question too much or who, who, who um, raise doubts about the business plan. You know, we all have to be down with the program. Everybody has to be beaming the same positive thoughts into the universe. And yet, from what you say in the book, it seems that the financial collapse hasn't kind of swept this away. It's actually <laughs> intensified, you know, the desire to have motivational speakers to kind of lead, lead out of the wilderness. Well, it's, it's, it's very much, I think, in flux. I don't know, in, up to, in an up-to-the-minute sense of it. As of a few months ago, it seemed that a lot of companies were hiring motivational speakers to manage their recession-era layoffs and things. But I, I suspect that's an expenditure that a lot of companies will forego, just as many of them are foregoing having employees altogether. You know, it, it's a lot of problems. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell. I don't think the, the um, prosperity gospel preachers, the evangelical preachers of positive thinking, have changed their line from what I've heard and from what I've followed of what they're saying. They've maybe said it's going to take a little more time before God makes you rich, mm. but it will happen. So I don't know. I'm, I'm doing my best. I think this is a chance to attack it. Yes. And uh, let's see. I was also shocked by the way positive thinking had penetrated academe. Yes. If Harvard's, you said Harvard's most popular 101 course is positive psychology. It was in 06. I don't know since then. But the most popular undergraduate course ceased to be economics, which it had been, and became positive psychology, where the students would write gratitude letters, not to send, but, you know, just get to feel that gratitude, and keep journals about things that made them feel good and, and so on, for credit. Now, I find this appalling. As a mother of two children who went through universities, I didn't pay their tuition so they could become positive thinkers, but so they could be critical thinkers. It, it's, uh, you know, uh, terrible. And, but it's the, in the form of, quote, positive psychology that it is penetrating the academy, including in the UK, to a tiny extent. Certainly has a foothold here. Well, the, the religious, the sort of quasi-religious, the sort of cultic aspect of it is, is apparent all the way through the book, really. And then that's, that's what it most resembles, a, a cause to which you, you subscribe. You have to believe in it wholeheartedly. There's no room for dissent. Yes, um, it, there are considerable overlaps with religion, both in the origins of this in the 19th century and in the embrace of it by evangelical Christianity in the last decade. But it, it functions like a sort of a secular religion. That you don't have to have God as an intermediary getting you all the stuff you want, but you can have God in there if you like. But then when you do that, you reduce God to the status of a personal assistant. And I you know, listen to these things about just sit God down and tell him exactly what you want and think, does it have to be me, an atheist, who says this is blasphemy? You know, well, God, God, is, God is kind of taken out of the picture, isn't he? In a lot of these mega churches, you know, there are no pictures of Christ suffering. Yeah. It's, it's, you describe it as being like another office complex. They're, the aesthetics are exactly like uh, office complexes, community colleges, anything. No crosses, no... Uh, 
well, there is one megachurch that does have crosses. There's one exception, but most of them, no images of Jesus. Because if you think about it, that story of Jesus is a bummer. You know, torture, misery, sin, redemption, etc. So that's not what you go to church for. You go to church to be pumped up uh, for another week. Um, that's it. How do you think Smile or Die might help to effect change? Well, I'm very gratified by the um, letters I get from readers, the emails actually, in, in the U.S. It, so many people have written and said, more or less, thank God. You know, I thought I was crazy. Or, and described then uh, how they lost a job because they were, quote, negative, how they watched a spouse die in desperation to try to improve their attitude so they could live. And that it seems to affirm a lot of people. So that's good. That's step one. You know, it's not your fault. And that's, that's my biggest message in life. That's, let's try to understand what are the things that are actually making you unhappy and see what we can do about them. So is, is that an instance where you, can, you make a comparison at the end of the book to totalitarian states, communism, where there's kind of hardcore of true believers and then there's a, a swathe of the population who pays lip service to the to the ethos, and then there's a small number of dissenters. I mean, is, is, that a, is that a comparison that sort of stands, that the broad mass of American people don't kind of buy positive thinking hook, line, and sinker, but it's kind of the only game in town that feeds into the American dream? Yeah, it, it feeds into the American dream. I think it, it gives people a sense of mastery, I mean, to be told that you actually can't have anything, that you actually control the universe. That's pretty heady stuff, you know? Um, of course, when it doesn't work, then you have to try the next guru, buy the next book or DVD, or go to the next, you know, motivational speakers event. So you have to keep trying it. But I, you know, I think there is an attraction. But what it's really about, of course, is powerlessness hmm. and co- as a coping, a coping mechanism for powerlessness. I, uh, I wonder. I don't think it's a very successful no. coping mechanism. But I, it really, I think it's so tragic when I read so many interviews of people who have been unemployed now for months or even more than a year in this recession, and they'll always say, but I'm trying to keep positive. And I think, no, don't try that. Be angry, <laughs> for Christ's sake. I was talking to Barbara Ehrenreich about her book, Bright Sided, and you'll find my article on her in the February 2010 issue of Le Monde Diplomatique. There's lots more to discover on the website, articles, blogs, maps, images, a podcast archive, and a full archive of every issue of the paper for subscribers. That's all at mondediplo.com. I hope you'll join me again next month for another interview with one of our contributors. Until then, thanks for listening, and goodbye.